Hi, I'm Leslie Ludi, host of the Set Apart Podcast, biblical encouragement for women of all ages. The last several episodes, we have been diving into spiritual lessons from women of the past. We have studied the lives of Amy Carmichael, Darlene Dibler, Corey Ten Boom. Some of these women have so profoundly impacted me personally. And today I want to look at the story of a woman named Elizabeth Fry. She was a Quaker woman in the early 1800s. And at first glance, you might be thinking, well, how am I going to relate to the story of a Quaker woman from the 1800s? That's exactly what I thought when I first began reading her biography. But it was so blessed and so powerfully impacted by some of the decisions that she made and some of the biblical truth that was so evidently showcased through her life. Before we dive into her story, I wanted to remind you that our Set Apart Conference is coming up June 3rd through 5th. You can join us in Windsor, Colorado at our Ellerslie campus or stream a simulcast of this event and have access to all the sessions throughout the rest of 2022. So it's a great way to share this message of Set Apart Living with other women in your life. It's appropriate for every age, a wonderful event for mothers and daughters to attend together or groups to come together. So I hope you'll consider joining us. You can go to setapartgirl.com and click on upcoming events, or you can click the link in this podcast description. Space is filling quickly, so don't wait too long if you're interested in joining us this year. Our theme for the conference is going to be Abide, and we're going to be diving deep into what it means to cultivate that intimate, abiding life with Jesus Christ on a day-to-day basis and how that impacts the practical areas of our life. So let's dive into Elizabeth Fry's story. When I first encountered the story of Elizabeth Fry, I was in a season where Eric and I had been married a number of years, were thinking about starting a family, but I was also really nervous about it because people had told me that my life would be over, I wouldn't have any ability to do any kind of ministry, and I still really had a sense of calling on my life to to do ministry, to share truth, yet I had a desire to start a family, so I was wrestling and struggling with that decision. And I read about this amazing Quaker woman who had 11 children And yet she became one of the greatest prison reformers in all of history. She was an excellent wife and mother, and yet she poured out her life for the sake of the gospel, and her children and family joined her in that effort. It was such an incredible picture of what God can do through a woman's life who was completely yielded to him. And it really gave me hope that I can not only have a family and honor God through having a family, but if he's called me to ministry, that's something that our family can do together. That's something that he will make happen. It's not something I have to try to figure out in advance. And so one of the ways I learned that principle through Elizabeth Fry's life, she was a Quaker woman, a wife, a mother, and one day she just really had it on her heart to go visit the local prison down the road. And it was called Newgate Prison, a women's prison. She just wanted to bring some words of encouragement. She had no idea what she was going to encounter there. But she walked in to the prison and she said she felt she had entered a den of wild beasts. This is an excerpt from one of her biographies. 300 women with their numerous children were crowded into four small rooms without beds or bedding or extra clothing, without classification or employment. There was only one male attendant and his son to look after them. In these crowded quarters, the women lived, cooked, washed, and slept. The odors were foul and the language was obscene. At the window gratings, they begged of passers-by and used their shillings to buy liquor in the tap room, which was the only recreation provided for them. The closeness of the rooms, the wickedness, the nearly naked condition of many of the women was too horrible to describe, and and Elizabeth Fry was appalled. 
She had to bear with the most hardened criminals and help them know she had not come in a spirit of judgment, but of mercy, not to condemn, but to comfort and relieve. She began to see in them a few remaining sparks of nearly extinguished spiritual fire, which might be yet fanned into flame. And that was the beginning of a really incredible ministry that God had for her. She began to wake up every morning and say to God, how can I bring you glory today? And when we wake up with that attitude, that prayer on our hearts, God begins to open doors that maybe wouldn't be open unless we were willing and available to him. We begin to have eyes to see need around us that maybe we wouldn't see otherwise. It starts with that heart attitude to say, Lord, my life is not my own. I've been bought with a price. I am your vessel, your servant. Show me how I can most bring you glory today. And the minute that Elizabeth Fry set foot in that prison, she knew that God wanted her to minister hope to those women who were being treated like animals, and many had lost their desire to even live. So as I studied Elizabeth Fry's story, not only was I inspired that God would allow me to have a family if that was what he was calling me to, and he would open doors for ministry if that was what he was calling me to. And that it was possible to be an amazing wife and mother and also step into ministry as God opened doors without having the two compete with each other. And the key for that is being led by his spirit and allowing him to open the doors and not trying to go after something in my own strength, my own idea of what I want my life to look like. But in addition to that tidbit of inspiration, I have been personally convicted and inspired by two specific qualities that were demonstrated in Elizabeth Fry's life. And the first one is that she did not operate in her own strength. I think it's easy to look at a story like Elizabeth Fry, because if you read her biography, it was truly incredible. Not only did she transform Newgate Prison, but she began to transform the entire prison system in all of England and eventually in all of Europe. So it's very easy to look at a woman like that and think, well, she must have had superhuman abilities to do all of that. One one woman couldn't possibly do all of that, or she must have completely burned herself out in the process. But actually, neither of those are true about Elizabeth Fry. She was an ordinary woman who surrendered to an extraordinary God. First Peter 4.11 says, if anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability that God supplies. And I have found in ministry that it is very easy to attempt to do big things for God in our own strength and even have our own dreams for ministry and how we want that to be, what path we want to follow, and promote our own ideas for how we want to change the world, it's only when we become a catalyst of the Spirit of God that fruit will truly come of our lives and our ministry. Our good works will amount to nothing. They'll just be human effort if we are not doing it in the strength that God provides. And Elizabeth Fry really understood this principle. Here's another excerpt from one of her biographies. It says, Both inside and outside of her prison work, Elizabeth consistently prayed, Lord, may I be directed what to do and what to leave undone. And then may I humbly trust that a blessing will be with me in my various engagements. Enable me, O Lord, to tenderly and charitably feel your love towards all my beloved fellow mortals. Help me to have no soreness or improper feelings toward any. Let me think no evil, bear all things, hope all things, endure all things. Let me walk in all humility and godly fear before all men in thy sight. 
And that is an amazing prayer for any of us who are seeking to obey God in his calling upon our lives. And because Elizabeth Fry relied so much on the spirit of God to operate her life and her decisions, that's why she was able to accomplish far more fruit of lasting value than anything a mere human could do in our own strength. Relying on the enabling grace and strength of God, Elizabeth, as I said before, literally transformed Newgate Prison and other prisons as well with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here are some of the things that she did in the early days of her ministry. She opened a classroom for the children and their young mothers to receive an education. She supplied the women prisoners with material for handwork, which is sewing, making clothes. Some people argued that these women were so accustomed to violence and drinking that they couldn't be trained to work, but Elizabeth inspired them with a desire to create. She persuaded the the prison authorities to hire a female supervisor, and this was completely different. This had never been done in all of the prison's history. And soon the prison began to take on the appearance of a well-regulated family. After six years of Elizabeth's tireless work, a congressman from America came to visit London and came to see what she had done in this prison. And this is what he said afterwards. I saw the greatest curiosity in London, in England too, compared with Westminster Abbey, the Tower, Somerset House, the British Museum, and Parliament itself. It causes all of those to sink into utter insignificance. I have seen Elizabeth Fry in Newgate. I have witnessed their miraculous effects of true Christianity upon the most depraved of human beings. And as this man pointed out, nothing but real Christianity could accomplish that miracle. Elizabeth's ministry is such a profound reminder to me that when we attempt to make an impact on the world in our own wisdom, our own strength, or our own merit, we're going to fall short of what can be accomplished when we simply yield to the power of God to do his work in and through us. I found it really amazing to look at how profoundly God used this humble woman's life to literally change the world with her 11 children and flourishing ministry to the local prison. It would seem that her plate is pretty full, but she didn't put boundaries around God's ability to use her life and her energy and her resources. She didn't have this attitude that says, I'll go this far and no farther. But instead, she had the attitude, I will follow the lamb wherever he leads. So as a result of that surrendered attitude, she became a catalyst of prison reform all over the world. If you study her story, it's really incredible how God used her. And yet, never do you get that sense that she was just out there to accomplish big things. She was yielding to him every step of the way. The other really powerful aspect of her life is that she was first and foremost a Christian, not just merely a humanitarian. It's really easy to bypass Christianity when we're seeking to help other people. And gospel-centered rescue work in our modern age has largely been replaced by humanitarian work. And at first glance, it might seem like a positive thing, but it's actually the opposite of God's message because the definition of humanitarianism, one of the definitions at least, is that the idea that humanity's obligations are concerned wholly with the welfare of the human race and that humankind can become perfect without divine aid. So the idea behind humanitarianism is to showcase the good side of humanity and celebrate our human ability to make the world a better place without God's help or involvement. It doesn't have anything to do with the glory of God. It has everything to do with the glory of 
men and women. So if you're primarily just a humanitarian, you're not going to be rescuing the weak as an extension of God's sacrificial love toward the world. You're going to be serving and rescuing in order to showcase this idea, look at what we humans are capable of doing. And that's why so many celebrities and famous athletes take up humanitarian causes because they want to somehow show and prove that they're doing their part in this world and maybe also to convince themselves that they're spending their time on something worthy. Now, of course, there's nothing wrong with showing compassion on other people, feeding the hungry, creating fair trade work opportunities. All of those things are good, but in themselves, they cannot provide the true solution to the world's problems because it leaves God out of the picture. Contrary to popular belief, what the suffering world around us needs is not primarily practical, even though that is an outflow. At the root, the true solution is Jesus Christ. The hope and the transformation that the gospel brings is the only permanent solution to the problem of human suffering, both in this life and in the life to come. So our practical help and serving of the the needy around us needs to flow out of a deeper desire to bring them the gospel of Jesus Christ. Elizabeth Fry really understood this. The Christian principles that she used to transform Newgate Prison led to prison reform all around England into Australia and eventually affected the way prisoners were treated in all of Europe. Her concern for the needy and suffering, as it says in her biography, knew no bounds. Within six hours of learning that a man had frozen to death on the streets of London, she and her team set to work preparing shelters and food for the homeless so that such a tragedy might never happen again. So she was definitely a woman of action, but she never forgot that the core, the true solution, the outflow of this action all needed to stem in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So she built hospitals, she started schools, she established libraries, she ministered both practically and spiritually to countless needy people. But no matter how many practical needs Elizabeth tended to, she never forgot that the deepest need in every person's life is the gospel of Jesus Christ. She was constantly reading the scriptures, constantly sharing the gospel with everyone she served. She was tending to their need for eternal hope and not just temporary comfort. When the King of Prussia came to visit England one time, he asked to visit Newgate Prison with Elizabeth Fry. And here's a statement about that in her biography. In his presence, she read to the prisoners from Romans about the surrendered life. When she knelt, the king followed her example and listened attentively to her beautiful prayer. The scene was a moving one. The monarch of a great nation, dignitaries of England, and common prisoners all praying to their common creator. When they rose, the king offered his arm to Mrs. Fry and they walked out together. A powerful scene. Elizabeth's example is such a challenge for us to reclaim the gospel-centered rescue opportunities that God has for us all around the world, some right down the road, some across the world. Let's not let humanitarian mindsets redefine what it means to make the world a better place. Because as Elizabeth so powerfully demonstrated, the only way to truly bring real solution to the crisis of the world is to introduce it to true Christianity. So those two qualities in Elizabeth's life have inspired me, have kept my perspective clear when it comes to ministry, gospel-centered ministry, and have challenged me that really pouring my life out for the work of Jesus Christ is not just about doing a token mission trip every once in a while or sending money overseas, even though those things are great and they can be a great starting point. But when we are willing to surrender our entire lives to Jesus Christ and say, Lord, how can I most bring you glory today? 
it is truly incredible what God can do through our lives. Some of us, it might be starting with our next door neighbor. God might have a ministry for us right down the road. Elizabeth Fry didn't actually start by traveling all over the world to reform prisons. She just went to visit Newgate Prison, which was just within a few miles of her home. And sometimes God will do that. Well, he'll just open a door that is right in front of us that's been sitting there for years. We just haven't seen it when we fully surrender and make ourselves available to him. And Elizabeth Fry's story proves that there's no specific season of life that we have to be in in order to be mightily used of God. We simply need to be available to him. As her children grew up, they began to join her in her ministry to the prisoners. And she was an incredible example of God taking an ordinary human and doing extraordinary things, not because of her special abilities, but simply because of her surrendered heart. My prayer is that by God's grace, we will follow in this amazing woman's footsteps So that on judgment day, Jesus Christ can say to every single one of us, I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And well done, my good and faithful servant. Again, this is not something to rise up to in your own strength, but begin tomorrow by simply praying that prayer. Lord, how can I give you glory today? How can I most bring you glory today? Open my eyes to see the needs around us. And he will begin to work through our lives when we cultivate that willing heart. I hope you've enjoyed this week's episode. If you'd like to go deeper into what it means to live a set-apart life, visit us at setapartgirl.com and check out the many resources that we have for you there. I hope you have a blessed and Christ-centered week.